biggest question in all of that is which piece of marketing or which piece of sales activity was the most important. And if you were to ask the salesperson, they'd say, well, it was obviously the sales calls that happened and, and I, I got it, I got it over the line. If you ask the marketing team, they'd probably say, well, it's the quality of the literature and the events I put on. But I suppose what we would encourage any client to do is analyze their journeys. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. If you are responsible for cutting the check for your marketing spend, it's a frightening experience. Your marketing teams may sound highly confident in every initiative they might have on their radar. But you know from your prior experience that marketing investments are extremely risky. You require careful analysis of your existing successes and mapping out the channels that have been the true contributor to your success. In today's episode, we have our guest, John Reedman, who discusses how to compare and measure marketing channels to plan your marketing budget. He also discusses how to attribute the total cost of sales and get comprehensive insights for each of your customer groups. Finally, he discusses how to design touch points, stages, and the best practice to design stages for longer sales cycles. Let me introduce John to you. John is the founder and CEO of Modo25 and AskBosco.io. John has been working in digital marketing for over 20 years, during which he has grown several global digital marketing agencies and marketing technology businesses. During this time, he has had the pleasure of working with some of the world's largest brands, helping them shape their online proposition and increase their e-commerce performance. These include Asus, Pepsi, BMW, Superdry, Honda, HP, Toyota, Vistaprint, and Sigma Sports. John's day-to-day role involves driving the vision of Modo25 forward. He's passionate about people and creating an environment which will enable the team to deliver the best possible work for their clients. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, oh, hey, John. Welcome to the show. Hi, Sam. Thank you very much for having me. Of course. And we are super excited to have you as well and to dig into your background, especially around marketing channels and marketing spend. That is always very exciting topic for our listeners in understanding how to manage their marketing budgets. Just to kick things off, do you want to start with your personal background? And your current focus, John? Absolutely. So I've been um, involved in marketing and marketing performance for over 23 years, 24 years now. So, And I actually started my marketing career off back in the day when it was helping people with direct mail. So there might be people on the call who have never been involved with direct mail, but that was all about organizing data and sending out um, lots of letters, hoping people open their letters and maybe even fill in a coupon, send a check 
in the post and, and, and send it back. Or So that that's many moons ago. And then my career evolved from that into email marketing. So some more direct response type marketing. And then more recently into search marketing. So SEO, PPC and sort of performance marketing. And all the time through all of this, Sam, there's been sort of one common thread, which is everybody's always find it very, very hard to organize their data, have transparency on the data and report yeah. back. So, so I've always been sort of obsessed with well how could we connect all the dots and give people a sort of view on the world that's an accurate reflection of what's actually going on so that's sort of been one of my lifelong passion of trying to help business decision makers get a view on what's actually going on even if they've outsourced it to an agency or even if they've got a big team of marketeers so sort of my current focus is we've built some technology that, that we believe helps CMOs and CFOs and CEOs make better decisions around their marketing by organizing all their data into one place, giving them a nice view on their phone in the Bosco Connect app, and then enables them to interrogate that data or use it as a messaging platform with their team or their agency but and it also helps them forecast the future so and that could be across all their different marketing channels so that that's what my focus is now and really just trying to help people make better decisions because i do think as a as a world we've become obsessed with just the performance channels and particularly a bias towards google but yeah that that's that's me Okay, amazing. So you actually hit on a, some very important points there, especially the marketing has come a long way when you compare the methods that we used to follow in the traditional marketing. And now we have many different channels from the digital marketing perspective. And the two challenges that we are going to get, especially when you talk about a CFO and the people who are trying to manage their budget is you have too many channels. Sometimes it's just harder to compare the performance of those channels. and even with data, I mean, you just have too much data and sometimes it's very hard to get glean the insight from that data. So obviously, I'm super excited to dig into that. You know, what are the best practices of doing that? What are some of the things that work or that you have seen work in your space? But before we do that, we have one of these standard questions that we ask every single guest, John, and that is going to be your perspective on business growth. What does growth mean to you, John? That's it. We 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 constantly talking in the suppose the world I'm in, which is the sort of digital performance world, about new customer acquisition and I suppose ensuring that the growth is incremental. So I think when you start digging into your data and really understanding, oh, that what's the value of a new customer and what am I willing to pay to acquire that new customer? So what's the acceptable cost per acquisition for a new customer based on, on, on the customer lifetime value, if you, if you understand your metrics? But I think it's constantly focusing on acquiring new customers of the right type that are going to give you that value. And, and really, the best way to understand and how to understand growth is to actually understand what are the best customers I've got and how can I go get more of those uh, and I think sometimes people just get obsessed with selling to the customers that they've got and even paying more marketing dollars to sell to the same customers they've already got rather than thinking well let's look at my growth marketing as how can I get more new customers of the best type understand my audience and go after those so I suppose that's that's really where we see our clients uh, accelerate their growth is is a is a, an unhealthy obsession with new customer acquisition. Okay, amazing. Some very important insights there, and 
when we look at the manufacturing world, which seems to be our the primary listener base, in especially when you talk about the industrial manufacturing space. In the industrial manufacturing space, the executives that we have, they have been there for a very long time. They are not as obsessed about the new customer acquisition just because they have had them for a very long time. Uh, and I don't know how much they believe in marketing to be able to really acquire the new customers. The majority of the time, their methods for new customer acquisition is either going to be word of mouth or maybe through some of the trade shows or just the referrals. Those are some of the channels that they have. I don't think they have a lot of marketing spend overall. Now, uh, when you talk about the customer lifetime value, and you are trying to compare across the customers. It's not going to be just the customers. It's also going to be your prospects who are not paying you at this point of time. So let's say if I'm the executive, John, and I am trying to analyze what is my customer lifetime value? What is my prospect lifetime value so that I can make appropriate decision when we talk about word of mouth? Even word of mouth could be very expensive if you really think about it. Because we are spending money on lunches, dinners, we are hanging out in many different forums, we are paying for associations, but that cost is not necessarily accounted towards the marketing channel measurement. So let's say if you were the manufacturing executive, and if you were planning for the channel, and if you are planning for the budget, how would you structure these channels? And how would you measure the performance of traditional channels so that as an executive, I'm more confident in exploring newer channels? So I suppose the first place we've got to got to start is, is what does uh, our best customer look like? So yeah. if we went into the existing, and that might be going to talk to the existing customer service team or just looking at all the different invoices we've sent or going talking to the account managers or the people who are head of manufacturing, like who is our best customer? And I suppose it's also understanding, I suppose there, Sam, what is best? Is it just the highest revenue or is it the most profitable or is it the one that we've done the most interesting work with? So I think as a business, you need to sit down and go, right, what does my best customer persona look like? What are the, what are the qualities of those? All right. And then there'll be, there'll be some standout and then there'll be some commonalities. And then ideally, you want to think, well, how did we win that customer in the first place? Where did we get those customers from? And hopefully there's some sort of commonality in there. And it go, actually, it was this trade show. That was the nailed on trade show. Actually, it was actually that client referred us to this client. And that might need actually manual sort of interrogation of the sales team or the account managers or the execs, account execs who are looking after these clients. And I suppose once you understand that, you could then transpose some of that into going, right, well, where are their prospects that look like these um, perfect clients? So how can we go and find some more prospects out there in the ether that look like these perfect clients? And then we can start mapping those out and profiling those out and, and then potentially understand, well, where do those prospects hang out? So are they in certain LinkedIn forums? Are they in certain Facebook forums? What sort of things would they be looking for on the internet or which events are they going to or etc so it doesn't always have a lot of this isn't done online and it might be sort of maybe what questions would they be asking around our topic of expertise so if way we make a particular product what solution does our product solve so what questions could they be asking so therefore what content should we be creating and how could we ensure that we have content that answers the questions they're 
asking. So what question would your perfect client be looking up on the internet and have we got the answer to that question on our website? So I suppose that's one sort of part of it. Find out yeah. who who your perfect clients are. You've already got. How can we go find more of those? And I suppose a thing you, you touched on before, Sam, which was, which was very, very good point is what we're always encouraging everybody to, especially if it's a CFO working with the CMO, is actually understanding what I would call a fully rolled up cost of sale. And you need to think about everything. So it's not just, oh, we paid to advertise in that trade magazine, or we were paid to go to that trade show, or we spent this much money on LinkedIn advertisement, or we spent this much money on Google ads or, or Facebook ads or whatever. It's about understanding all the other things. So whether that's the delivery cost, our percentage of returns, or is so actually the salesperson's commission or going to a particular event, what is the actually fully loaded cost of sale within that sort of customer acquisition? And then understanding what is acceptable cost of sale to drive new revenue growth going forward. So I suppose that they're the sort of three things I would be getting people to look at or to ask themselves in that scenario. Okay, amazing insights there. And I love the way you are sort of structuring the customers, especially the existing customers, and trying to find out, okay, whether you are going to be the highest revenue customer or most profitable, uh, depending upon your business goals, you can go for either of those, and then you can extrapolate from there who are going to be the customers which are going to be most beneficial and which are the channels that they are hanging out on. So in my experience, the major challenge with this approach is going to be really attributing and getting the, the combined insight for the customer. Because if you look at, again, I'm going back to some of these traditional manufacturers examples, I don't think they have their systems completely connected from your sales to marketing to finance. And that is their biggest problem in terms of getting this data. Okay, if I have, let's say, the 80,000 customers, can I get this insight for those 80,000 customers first? Can I really break down in different segments? Can I attribute the channels? Can I attribute the marketing spend as well? I don't know if they really understand how to attribute the, the marketing cost. And some of the times what is going to happen is this marketing cost that you are really spending, it is actually going to show up somewhere in the balance sheet or PL, and you don't even know where that is getting spent. And you are simply taking a rough ballpark that in marketing, I am probably going to spend 2%, 5%, 10% but you don't have a sense of your channels. So do you have any specific stories where you had similar situation, but then you could coach them that, you know what, you need to look deeper when you look at your customers, you need to look slightly deeper in terms of your spend and you need to map this journey out. And I think that the mapping is going to be the keyword that is going to be super important overall the way you pointed out. So do you have any stories, John, that you might be able to share? Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think the biggest thing in a lot of this in, in, in businesses is, is to try and get, so we, we've worked with lots of clients in, in the B2B or the B2C space where they have a sales team and they yeah. have a marketing team and they have a finance team and marketing are always like, well, sales don't follow up all the leads we get. And sales are like, well, I'd rather go get my own leads. They're always better than the leads marketing get. And finance are always like trying to question, well, why is marketing spending so much money and we're, we're spending so much money on sales commissions and all these different things. And I think that's sometimes part of the challenge is everybody doesn't realize we're all pulling in the same direction. So what yeah. we need to try and do somehow is get 
sales and marketing particularly to work together to understand actually if we all play nicely together and actually record everything properly we can actually get more sales leads make more sales get more new customers that we need to get obsessed about getting new customers for our growth and actually marketing will hit their targets and sales will hit their targets but there often is in in many many companies this sort of clash between sales and marketing and often i think it's because the systems that are put in place whether that be a crm of some description and the, the salespeople see that as admin and marketing say well we need everybody to fill that out so that we can understand the attribution of the marketing so i, th- I think these things are getting better now with the use of mobile technology and but i i actually think sam a lot of this is about education and about helping everybody understand the why we need to do this and if we actually did understand well what was the first touch point in the yeah. sales journey that that might have actually been they came to our stand at a, an exhibition or we sent them a follow up email because they came to a webinar or what a, they they maybe did a they clicked on an ad on linkedin or facebook right so if we understand the first point but then at the same time there may be multiple touch points so they might have had a phone call from sales they might have then gone out for lunch they might have done something they might have attended a trade show but actually, the thing that got them over the end at the end point might have been they then went and visited a client site or they read a client testimonial from an email. And I suppose the, the biggest question in all of that is which piece of marketing or which piece of sales activity was the most important? And if you were to ask the salesperson, they'd say, well, it was obviously the sales calls that happened and, and I, I, got it, I got it over the line. If you ask the marketing team, they'd probably say, well, it's the quality of the literature and the events I put on. But I suppose what we would encourage any client to do is analyze their, their journeys. So all the different touch points that each client's had. So this would have to be a collaboration between the sales team and the marketing team to map out the process. Well, what were all those different touch points from the start of the process to the end of the process? And if we didn't have the start, we definitely wouldn't have had the end. So our normal advice around attribution is we need to put some weight on that first interaction. So let's give some credit. So if we had a a $20,000 sale, for instance, we should give a percentage of that valuation of that sale to the first interaction and a percentage of that to the end interaction, arguably, because that last thing tipped them over the edge. But actually, should we also spread out some of that attribution of effort and success across all the other activities in the middle? So then they also get a value of that sale as well. So, and I think the challenge with all of this, Sam, is it's not an exact science. The nature, there isn't one typical sales journey. There, there'll be some clients who just phoned up and said, I'd like to buy one of those. There'll be other ones who spend years doing research and look at everything and have multiple touch points. So it's very difficult. And every single version of an attribution model is technically wrong. But what we need to do is is find the one that's the least wrong and is the best fit. And again, that's just a case of sitting down between sales and marketing, understanding your customer's acquisition process and seeing if there's some commonalities that you can go, ah, that's the best fit. If we keep repeating that model, we should win and we should get more new customers and we should grow our, our business. And I suppose half of it is about making sure you've got the data, recording it all in one central place. Then I suppose analyzing that, and you could you, you depending on the volume of the data, you could do that manually in a big spreadsheet, or you might need to use some tools 
that could help you process that. So, but yeah, it's about teamwork, really, I suppose. The computers can't do everything. Yeah, you are absolutely right. And you touched on some very important points. In fact, in my experience as well, when we look at these different functions, so yeah, in the ideal scenario, let's say if you're sales and marketing and finance, they are working in conjunction and they are working together, then probably you would not have as much problem. The biggest problem always is because these departments inside the companies are always going to have different priorities. They have different goals. They have different aspirations. And the moment you bring different departments together, that's where the problem happens. And in my experience, when you talk to my finance guy, they are going to say, you know what? This is not my responsibility. <laughs> you sales guy, you figure it out. You marketing guy, marketing responsibility is really yours. So you figure out and when you need something from me, talk to me, okay? Otherwise, yeah, I'm probably not going to have time for you. So this cross-functional nature of any of the initiative is always slightly more challenging than you have just the departmental initiative in any company. So again, going back to my comment about any specific story of the recent engagement that you have done where you had similar problems. And since we have the finance audience here, they might not understand Think like, you know, what channel really means, you know, how to attack these channels. So if you can provide a real world example where you had multiple departments involved, they probably had the analytics related problem because sales did not probably know what marketing was doing. And then you brought sort of everybody together. If you can explain in the form of a story, I'll definitely appreciate that. Yeah. So, well, we, we were working with, um, it was actually a, a B2B business yeah. and their CEO I think also their, so their CEO wanted more new business. Their finance director, he wanted to have a situation where he wanted to understand, well, what's my cost per, cost to do this? And he was looking at it really just as a cost per lead. So he yeah. was looking at it, right? How many leads do we need? And if you can get me X leads, the sales director says, and the marketing director say they can convert these up. X ratio. So I suppose they they'd got some sense of a model in their mind of if we could get fifty leads into sales from marketing, we can grow our business. And I think the the two challenges here were, and I'll use an analogy as part of the story as well. So they came to us, and they, and and I've known the CEO of this business for for many years. And he said uh, he said John, we need we need we need more sales. And I said right, okay. So what we need is we need some, he said, well, we need more leads. We need better marketing. Right. And, but if you imagine the six steps in, in a lot of sales process in terms of education, especially if it's a big ticket engineering or software or B2B type sale, there's yeah. quite a lot of education required. So he was sort of trying to do was go from point one to point six without looking at two, three, four, five. They just yeah. wanted to get a lead and then close it. Right, which I think everybody would love to do that, and it was it, we had to take them on this whole journey of going. Well, actually, when that person downloads the white paper, what they're not saying it's it's a bit like the person on I don't know the first date asking someone to marry them. Yeah, right? exactly. That's just not that it's just not normal. But we, it's amazing how many salespeople think well they've just downloaded my white paper. They must want to sign up for three-year contract at, at two million pounds a year. So it's about educating everybody to go, well, no, that's just the first step. 
And then what else can we do with sales and with marketing? And I suppose some terminology that people may or may not have heard of before is we need to understand the difference between a marketing qualified lead through to a sales qualified lead and almost a sales ready lead. And actually, should we actually keep some of these leads away from the salespeople until they've actually showed enough interaction? And again, having a system or a CRM or some sort of process in place to track all of that and then understanding the level of investment so we can explain to the finance team, well, actually, what we need to do is, yeah, we're going to have to do some advertising of this white paper at the beginning of the funnel, and that's going to get us this many leads. And then over a process of maybe three months, six months, we're going to communicate with these people and invite them to different webinars, invite them to different events. And at some point, they're going to become sales ready. And then we'll let Bob the, or, or Jackie, the salesperson, onto them to arrange an actual demo or any time in that period, they can self-select. They can put their hand up and say, actually, I'm ready to get married now. Can you arrange a demo for me? But I do think we, because we're all so desperate and we come from this sort of performance world, that we go from point one to point six too quickly and we scare people off. It'd be um, like going to see the personal trainer to have a, an assessment about what you're doing, to have an assessment about what you're doing, and you turn up to see the gym instructor in, in, your, in your suit and shirt and tie, and you think you're just going for a chat, and they say, get down and give me 20 push-ups, and it's not appropriate, and you weren't ready, and it's not going to work. So I, th- I think it's about, so to go back to the sort of story, so with the software company, we ended up having to say, well, actually, what you don't. What, the answer isn't that you need more leads. What we need to do is actually remap out the strategy and think about what is the process and how do people want to engage with you and buy things. And actually, have you got enough useful, interesting, relevant content to take people on a first date, a second date, a trip to the cinema to court them over a period of time so that they self-select and become ready to buy? And I, and I think a lot of a lot of businesses across all sectors are trying to force sales too quickly when people aren't ready to buy and then and then they just qualify them out whereas actually they didn't have enough information or they didn't know enough about your product or your service because you've not given them enough chance to ask all the questions so i'm sorry i went off on one a bit there but um i think that is the story of that particular software company is they thought they wanted more leads and that's what finance and they had a budget for more leads. But actually, what they really need to do is rethink their whole customer acquisition process and strategy and, and take a step back from it. Because actually, I suppose it's a bit like they were just focusing on the scoreboard. If they were playing soccer, for instance, they were just focusing on the scoreboard. What they weren't focusing on is, well, are we turning up for training on time? Is everybody fit? Does everybody have the right kit? Are we all playing in the right position? Right. Well, if that's the case, we, the score should sort itself out. So um, hopefully that, that helps. Yeah, so you actually touched on many different points there, especially about the touch point and going from your step one to step six. I think that's always going to be slightly more debatable, if you, especially if you don't know what your step one is and what your step six is. And then there are some aspects related to the marketing is going to be always going to be slightly more longer term. It does take a little bit of time for marketing spend to pay off. So unless you are doing paid ads where you are doing very targeted effort, which is going to be similar to your outbound strategy, if you are doing that, but then that is going to be more expensive as well. So if you are doing that, then then you might be able to map all your step one to step two to step three step four and sometimes when you are doing this really from the branding perspective so that the awareness is going to be there in the market i don't know if you are going to be able to attribute these steps 
in the concrete manner, and then you are going to be able to attribute the ROI for each of those steps. So when I talk to manufacturing, the timeline is always going to be tricky, especially when we talk about the performance of these channels. So in your experience, do you recommend any specific timeline overall in terms of how much they should be spending before they move out to the next channel? How long should they be trying any specific marketing channel, whether that is performing or not, before they try out the next one, just to have the sense around the strategy for channels when they are going to plan for this? So it's, it's difficult to recommend because, again, there isn't one size fits all. But yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that the key to this is to understand your own channels, understand your own market. And from there, can you, and and I suppose depending on your average contract value, uh, you will know roughly. So it goes back to that question we talked about at the beginning is, what is our acceptable cost of sale? And then what you need to work out is, right, that's my acceptable cost of sale. And then you might say, well, we think there's six steps in our process. And we're going to put, if my acceptable cost of sale is $1,000, I'm willing to spend acquiring this customer. Do I put $400 of that on the first interaction? And do I put $400 on the last interaction and split the other $200 across the middle? I don't know. But there could be, that could be one way of looking at it and then thinking, well, actually, we, we, we're at stage one. And then we've done, uh, and, and again, if you look at the data, the historical data, you'll know, well, where was the first interaction and how long did it take to get to close? And you will be able to sort of think, well, actually, we need to invest. 40% of it up front and get that first interaction. And then we know that they're going to stage one for a month or two months. Then we introduce two, three, four, and then then finally five after six months or however long it is when all these different things have happened. So I suppose it's, it's almost like having a checklist. So it's a bit like, I suppose, running a conveyor system, but thinking of it as building a sales machine in that scenario with a marketing support across measurement and attribution. And also some of this might be offline where you need the salespeople or the account managers or account execs uh, to actually input into this. Again, this has happened and now it's moving on to stage four or stage five. Um, so there isn't one size fits all in terms of how long should people wait and invest in each individual channel. But I would say Once you've done that bit we talked about before, Sam, at the beginning, where it's analyzing your best customers, understanding the touch points they went through over the periods they went through, you should have a good idea of of where should we be investing our time and effort to get more good customers to, to grow our business. So honestly speaking, when we look at these channels and when we look at the sales and marketing interaction, let's say if you have your one, two, three, four, five, six mapped out and if everybody's sort of getting the leads at each of those stages and you are closing enough business and you are meeting your goals, then nobody is going to really question whether the investment that you have is working or not. Okay, everybody is simply going to be happy. They are not going to worry about the data. They are probably not going to worry about the attribution. Okay, but the challenge happens when you don't necessarily have the leads funneling at each of those stages. And sometimes what I have seen in my experience, John, is let's say if you have your 12-month sales cycle or maybe 15 months, you don't want to be realistic about it. What you want to do is you want to sort of assume that my sales cycle is really three months and that's what I want to focus on. I don't necessarily care what my marketing team is doing to get those leads for six to nine months. So if you, let's say, if you don't have any sort of measurement 
in that marketing funnel, in that six and nine months, you are not going to have insight what kind of leads you are going to get in that short-end window that you have chosen for yourself that, you know what, my sales cycle in the real world, maybe nine to 12 months. But here, what I am doing is I have created my stage from my P1 to P2 to P3 to P4 to P5 or however you want to name them. And I am only focusing on as soon as I get the lead, I want that to be closed in the 90 days. Otherwise, my sales team should not be engaged with this specific lead. So in looking at this strategy that I have just described, in simply assuming that your sales cycle is sort of the short end and sales is going to be involved when you are going to have real sales qualified lead, do you think that they need to be worrying about the marketing spend as well and tracking the marketing channel and talking to sales team what is happening in the marketing world so that everybody is aligned? Or would you rather focus on this three months window and just be narrow, narrowly focused there? I think depending who you spoke to, you get many different answers here. But I think in the world we live in now, yeah. Right. So, so I'll give you another analogy, and this this will, this will be relevant to to your. I'll give you another story, actually. So, yeah. years ago, when I was running a, a previous business, we were doing some work where everybody said you will never sell cars online. Nobody will buy a car online. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, oh right, well, that's interesting. And I and I was sort of in that camp as well. Nobody's going to buy a car online. You need to go test drive it. You need to yeah. feel it. You want to go select your options. You want to talk to us salesperson you want to understand it this that and the other so anyway there was we had um a client who believed differently and they wanted to test it and this client was peugeot peugeot citroen and they said we we think that uh, from some research we've done that people actually don't like the car buying experience with the salesperson right so that's actually putting people off and it's forcing people who don't like that they're not they, they're not able to buy new cars because they have to go buy secondhand cars privately because they don't like car salespeople and i was like wow that's like a massive thing right but they got the research right they got the research so we went to do our own research as, as, a, as a marketing agency and decided to go into a land rover dealership was the one because we were also working with jaguar land rover and we went in with some inf- internet research okay and we went in with exactly the spec of the car we wanted we went in with exactly the color the spec everything we'd done all the internet research we printed off the sheet we took it into the, the system the showroom and we said we want to buy that car now so this is the thing sam everybody's programmed to think that yeah. the customer is doesn't know what they want to buy yeah. and in the modern world where we can research absolutely everything everybody is has already self-selected and has probably qualified themselves quite a long way down the sales pipeline so in the scenario of cars when we actually did start selling cars online they were selling at a higher average order value they weren't giving away a discount and they were a higher spec and and it was just amazing it's like well why would people do that Uh, And it worked. But what was actually happening in the showroom is because of the training of the salesperson, it was putting people off buying because they were getting told by the salesperson, you don't know what you you don't know about about this. Let me tell you what car you want. Whereas actually they'd watched hundreds of hours of YouTube videos and and hundreds of bits of content. So the point that's then relevant for the manufacturing world here is. Is all the content actually available for yeah. your clients to self-qualify themselves that your solutions are the one they want? And actually, could they just go online and buy it or go online yeah. and fill in an order form? Because they've gone, actually, I've done all the research about this widget. 
I've seen, I've watched four videos. I've downloaded the spec. I've downloaded the brochure. I've actually tested it in my own mind and, and I've, I've, I've ordered a sample of a million widgets. And, and I think just because of tradition and the way we've already done stuff is, um, that's, that for, uh, forces, um, the way people do stuff in the future. Whereas if you were setting up from scratch now, let's say like Tesla, you, well, you, you can only buy the car online. Even You can't even go in the show and buy a car. It's been super insightful. Do you have any last-minute closing thoughts by any chance? Yeah, well, I, I think the biggest thing, Sam, is, is, is understand, if you want to focus on growth, is understanding where did you get your best customers from? How can you get all of that data in one place so that you can then uh, have that all in one central dashboard so you can easily find out who your best customer is and how to go find uh, the same type of customer whether that be the most profitable or the largest or the most interesting so that you can grow your business yeah i think i completely agree with you there and my personal takeaway from the conversation is going to be just look deeply into your customer base extrapolate from there where you can find those customers and just map out the journey and figure out which channels are going to be really appropriate for you. And if you bring your team together, especially your sales, marketing, and finance, that's where the real value is going to be. So the more you can work together, you are going to get the best ROI. On that note, I really want to thank you for your time, John. It's been an insightful and fun conversation. Excellent. Well, thank you for having me, Sam. Uh, I, I really appreciate you inviting me on the show. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about John, head over to modo25.com. It's M-O-D-O-2-5.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Dave Meyer from BusyWeb, who describes how marketing automation works and why that is important to understand customer journeys. Also, the interview with Jeff White, who discusses why it is so important to identify the ideal customer profile for your offerings to streamline your growth. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you, and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.